through this study of Corinthians, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and we've learned there that the church in Corinth was a gifted church. It was a rather anointed church, but we also learned that they were plagued with carnality. There was a lot of problems within the church, and their carnality, it manifested itself in things like division within the church. There was disorder within the church. There was toleration of blatant sin, specifically sexual sin that was going on within the church. They abused the liberty they had been given to them as Christians. And there was this mix of modern philosophy and Christianity in that day. They were trying to mix their, their religion and what they believed. And all of these things created problems within that church. So Paul writes a letter to answer their questions and to help uh, set the record straight, if you will. He wants, to, he wants to put them on the right track because they're a little confused about what's going on. In this letter that we've been reading by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, he wanted to correct some misunderstandings as well, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit that led to abuse and confusion within the church, and he wanted to set that straight, and we covered that in previous weeks. In the previous chapter, chapter 15, Paul spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how important it was to the gospel, but he also talked about the resurrection of the believer. What happens after you die? He covers that detail in detail in chapter 15. All of that brings us to chapter 16 this morning. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line upon line, precept upon precept. When we study together, we do it that way because we want the full counsel of God. In chapter 16, Paul begins closing out his letter, but before he does, he's going to answer a few questions that they have. So if you'll pick up or if you'll follow along with me as I read chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, then we'll come back and we'll talk about them together. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. As I have said, the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul, and they'd asked him the question about this collection that he's talking about, that he'd mentioned. And they want to know things like, how should we collect this money? How should we give them money? Paul's going to instruct them this morning on giving. In instructing them, he's also going to instruct us. You see, this collection was something the church in Corinth already knew about. It had already been talked about. It had been discussed. It wasn't something Paul was bringing up for the first time, but they had questions on how it would all happen. What would it all look like? But let me answer this one first. Why would the Christians, why would the saints in Jerusalem need money? Why is Paul collecting money for somebody else halfway across the world, or not halfway, but a big, big distance away? Why is he collecting money for them? Well, there could be a number of reasons. Acts chapter 6 mentions to us that there are many widows, many widows in Jerusalem, and they were in need of food. They were serving a great number of people. Money would be needed to support them and keep them in food and, and, and from not starving to death. Acts chapter 11 mentions there was a famine going on in the if, in fact, there was a shortage of food, what does that do to the price of food? It drives it up. Supply and demand. If the demand is high and the supply is low, the price goes up. It's basic economics. That would take money. We also know that as the early church developed and grew, 
What was taking place? Persecution. Persecution. They were being persecuted for being Christians. Maybe they weren't getting the jobs like everybody else. Maybe they didn't have the, the opportunity to work like everybody else has. For all of these reasons, and perhaps even some others, the believers in Jerusalem, they were in need of financial support. Now we know through the study of the book of Acts, in order to survive, they had even put their resources together. They had made a pool of money, a pool of resources. They, were, they had some sort of communal living going on, but it didn't last very long. It only lasted for a short period of time, and as the persecution continued to grow, what happened? They were eventually forced to flee Jerusalem. It forced them out. You think, wow, that's tough, but that was God's plan. As the persecution grew in Jerusalem, it forced them to leave. When they left, you know what they took with them? The gospel. They took the message of Jesus Christ with them. And then they fulfilled what Jesus had commanded them to do. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that was the ultimate, that's what happened. Because there was this need in Jerusalem, among the Jewish believers, Paul was planting churches at that same time out in the Gentile regions. Paul decides, I think we should meet this need, and I believe it'll help unite the church, unite the believers. If the Jewish believers in Jerusalem saw that the Gentile believers in Galatia and in Corinth were financially supporting them, that would bring them together. It would unite them. And we support those that we love, don't we? That, that's what we do. We support them. So Paul says, I'll, I want you to take up a collection. I'll pick up the money or you can send somebody with me and we'll give that money to them. He did this to bring unity to the body of Christ between the Jews and the Gentiles where there was a natural division. If the Jewish believers had received this financial support, which they would be glad to get, when you're hungry and someone wants to feed you, you're thankful for that, they would be likely more, they would, they would ex be more accepting of the Gentile believers. The church in Corinth was supposed to be part of meeting this need. Paul had asked them to do this. Now I believe that within Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth, we will see some very practical principles concerning giving to the Lord concerning financial support of our own church. But before we look at these principles, I need to correct a few things. And you might be thinking, I can't believe we're talking about money today. You never talk about money, Rob. We don't even take an offering. The, the box is in the back. Listen, we talk about it when we come across it in Scripture. And here we are this morning. We're across it in Scripture. But I know that it's confusing for a lot of people, and I want to share a couple of these things where people kind of get it wrong. In some churches, giving is overemphasized. The church is all about giving, and it's all about they're going broke if you don't put more money in the box. They don't take one offering, they take three. And in between, they'll count it to make sure there's enough. If there's not enough, they'll send it around a fourth time or a fifth time or whatever they need. It becomes, church becomes all about the giving. It's always about the money. The attendance is on the wall, and so is the offerings. Because they want everybody to know whether we're falling short or whether we're in abundance. And usually, what is it? We're always falling short. We never have enough. That's usually what we see when we see those kinds of things. I personally was turned off by that. When I was looking to grow spiritually, I went to many churches and I was turned off by the fact that I felt like some churches, all they ever did was ask for money. And I couldn't figure out if why if God was so great, why is he always so broke? <laughs> if God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, what does he need my 20 bucks for? But yet I was always guilted into putting something into the plate because I didn't want the person next to me looking at me going, they didn't put anything in, they just passed it. I understand what that feels like. In other churches, they use different tactics. They want, to, they want to stir on your emotions. 
They want to they show pictures. They want to give great visions of what God's going to do. And they want to they stir you up emotionally so that you'll give. They do that on TV. You ever seen the commercials of the starving kids? And the, now it's the animals, the, the starving animals. And for just a dollar a day, you can provide. You know, and they want to, what is that? They, they, want, they, want you to, they want you to respond emotionally to a need. Churches do the exact same thing. Don't think that they don't. In other churches, they use these tactics. They tell you the Lord's work will stop if you don't dig deep and give generously. If you don't give, the Lord can't work. That's a lie. I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord doesn't need your money. The only one that gets blessed by you giving something to the Lord is you, not him. He doesn't need it. He's got all that he needs, and he can get all that he needs to accomplish his will with or without you. You just don't get to be a part of it if you choose not to. Other churches, they get people out of their seats. You've been part of a church where they parade you up front to drop your offering in a basket. Have you ever seen that before? I have. Do you know why they do it? Because statistically, they tell us. I went to a church finance conference one time, and they told us if we would pass the offering plate, it would increase our offerings. I, I, I'm going off the top of my head. I think it was about 20 to 25%. So if in our church, they would come in and say, listen, if you will start passing a plate, you'll, your offerings will go up 25%. And they say this, but if you'll get the people out of their seats and you'll play a worship song and you'll move them up to the front and they'll drop it in a box up at the front where everyone has to watch, it goes 40 to 45%. 40 to 45%, you can increase your offerings if you'll get them up out of their seats. That's why they do it is because they want to get more money out of you so maybe you've been part of a church where money has been overemphasized maybe it's been tied to an emotional string i want you to know something that here at calvary chapel cumberland we rarely talk about giving in fact we only talk about it when we come across it in scripture like we have this morning we don't take an offering here this morning people want to know why because i don't want to be misunderstood our offering is in the back there's a box back there if you would like to give as the lord leads then give if not it's okay if you're visiting for the first time, we don't expect you to give. We expect you just to enjoy the visit. I told the church when we first started, I said, guys, I'm never going to get up here and talk about finances. I said, if we come to a place financially where our church can't make it anymore, I'll give you two weeks notice. They said, what do you mean? I said, two weeks. I'll come up and say, in two weeks, we're closing. They said, you're not going to tell us when things get tough? I said, no. I said, I'll tell you two weeks before we close. They said, why? We need to know. I said, no, no, you need to give according to the Lord. And if this ministry is supposed to be open, the Lord will provide everything that we're supposed to have. And can I tell you that because of that mentality, because of what the Lord has given us and provided for us, we have never lacked for anything financially in our fellowship. The Lord provided for us to purchase the radio station. He provided for us to buy this building, provided all of the finances we needed. We've been blessed abundantly, and I've never once had to ask for anything. All I've ever said was sometimes I'll put out, hey, this is what we're working on. This is what we're praying about. And the Lord is faithful to provide. Where God guides, God will provide. We will have no temperature thermometers on the wall about how much, how close we are to our goal. We, we won't have any. You won't be able to buy a brick with your name on it. There's no glass panes. We don't have any windows. There's, you, you can't buy anything. It's, it's not, you can't buy a seat up front. It's not for, it's not what we do. You can sit wherever you want in here. What if I sit in someone's seat? We don't have assigned seats. You sit wherever you want. Next week, switch it up. Really mess up their day. <laughs> this side, go over there. You guys go over there. In the middle, front to the back, back. You'll be all confused. You know, the first time we had two services, it was really funny because everybody sat where they normally sat. So when we switched to two services, we were full in the second, completely full in the second service. But then wherever, in the first service, it was the opposite. Everyone sat where they normally sat. So the holes in the first service were filled with people for the second service. It was kind of funny from my perspective. 
because no one moved. We're kind of creatures of habit like that. We always sit where we want to sit. As I said earlier, the Lord has always provided for us, and we don't ever need to, all we do is make needs known. One of the things we're praying about right now, and I just, I, I make this known so you can, you can be part of it. For several years, we've been praying about a, an addictions ministry. And we've watched the Lord raise somebody up. Jordan's been off to Bible college. He's back. He started Broken Chains on Tuesday night. It's both of our desire to have a home someday, preferably a farm somewhere outside of town where we can take and disciple men and women. Now, we know we can't do it together. The Lord will raise a woman up to handle that part of it. We understand that. But it's our, it's our desire to have a place where we can put people for a long period of time, meaning a year, where we can disciple them and get them away. We've got guys that are getting saved in prison. They're coming out into the, the world. They have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to live. And we want to be able to say, we want to meet that need. We want to put you into a, a long-term discipleship program where you can not only learn to be discipled by the Lord, but you can also learn the, the, the things of life that you need about getting up and going to work and working hard all day and, and all of these principles and Bible studies every night. That's our desire. So well, how are you going to get a house? I don't know. How are you going to get a farm like that? The Lord will provide when it's his time. I don't have to worry about it. It's not my problem. We're not going to have a fundraiser and a building fund and all that kind of stuff. The Lord will provide. He's always been faithful to do that. And if he doesn't provide, then we have our answer whether or not we're supposed to move forward on it. It's just making, it, making the need known and watching. And I, I see as the Lord, he works behind the scenes with people saying, I'll help with this. I can do that. I can't give, but I can fill in this role. And, and as he does that, it's going to be amazing. We watched it with the radio station. I don't have time to tell you the whole story this morning, but those that are here, you're going to get to watch it again. As the Lord does something amazing with this, I don't know what we're going to call it. I've been calling it Calvary House. That may or may not be the name, but that's kind of what I've been calling it. As we see what the Lord does with that. It's going to be amazing to watch. As I said earlier, at the end of every year, we have this meeting, this financial meeting. And you're invited if you'd like to come. Ours will be this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And I know, and I must confess as a pastor, being so uh, tarnished by finances and churches, I don't even really like to talk about it. I'd rather just skip over it. But I also know because it's so misrepresented and it's so misunderstood, it's important that we do talk about it. And that we don't just, you know, these first, I, I planned on getting through a lot more than four verses this morning, but we're only going to make it through the first four. Because it's so important that we understand. Because if you're like me, you've been to a lot of churches where it's just been taught improperly. Financially, giving or giving financially to the Lord should always be a joy and not a burden. It should always be a joy, not a burden. Why? Because we have to understand everything we have comes from him. Everything. Everything that you have. Every breath that you breathe. Every heartbeat that you have. Everything you have belongs or came from him. You said, no, no, Rob, I earned it. I, I got up every morning and I went to work and I got an education. I earned it. Who gave you the ability and the health to go to work every day? No, I took care of my body. I, I ate the right foods. I exercised. Who gave you the brain to get through college? Who made you smart enough to understand the things that you do? All that we have is a gift from him. It's a simple principle. He's the creator. I'm the creation. He's the creator. I'm the creation. He made me to be able to do what I do. He made you to be able to do what you do. Don't steal that glory from him. It needs to be given back to him. Do you believe that? Giving is just another act of worship. You see, we worshiped him this morning when we sang, when we praised him. When we study the word, we worship him. When we give, we worship him. When we serve him, we worship him. It's just another act of worship. It's not something separate. It's just a way that we worship our Lord. Now, I want to look at a couple of these principles that I see here in these first four, first four verses. 
Number one, if you're taking notes, the practice of giving to the Lord for the Christian, it was universal. It was universal. Giving to the Lord is universal for the believer. He tells us there in verse one, concerning the collection for the saints, that's the collection, he says, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you. Who are these saints they're talking about? These are the believers in Jerusalem. They're the Christians in Jerusalem. You say, wait, wait, wait. I thought saints were like important people. They were people who did miracles and stuff. They were special people. No, churches have assigned titles to saints, but do you know the scripture refers to all believers as saints? So right now, you're saints. So from now on, when you leave, you can say, I, I, I started calling my wife Saint Rebecca. No, I didn't. She calls me Saint Rob, though. She's laughing at that. No. D don't, don't undervalue yourself in the eyes of the Lord. He calls you a saint because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are a saint. Giving is a part of Christianity. Jesus said it wonderfully in Matthew chapter 10. He said, freely you have received, freely give. Isn't that the very basis of our salvation? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If we are stewards of what the Lord has given us and everything that we have really belongs to him, don't we have an obligation to invest what is his where he wants it invested? Don't we have an obligation to put it where he wants it? Of course we do. You see, giving is a basic principle of Christianity, giving back to the Lord. All Christians are called and instructed to give. It wasn't an option whether or not they should do this. Paul says, no, do this. The second principle we see here about giving in this passage is that our practice of giving to the Lord, it should be planned. It should be planned. Our giving to the Lord should be pre-planned. Look how Paul put it there in verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. The first day of the week, that was Sunday. It's the day they met for church. It's the day they got together and they worshiped. Why did they meet on Sunday? That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's, that's why they met. They were, they were celebrating the resurrection. It's the first day of the week. When they gathered together to worship, they collected that which had been set aside. Set something aside. They had previously set aside money to give to the Lord. Paul says, I don't want any collections when I come. You see, I know when I get there, I want to tell you what's going on and what's going on in Jerusalem. I want to fill you in. But I don't want you guilted into giving money. I don't want you feeling obligated to give money. I want you to prepare to give money. Plan to give money. Do you know what this required them to do? To seek the Lord on what to give. You see, we like it much better if someone will say, just tell me how much I have to give to be okay with God. Give me, give this mountain, you're fine with God. Paul says, no, no, I'm not going to tell you what to give. You set aside according to what you make or what you need to live off of, and you have it ready when I get there. I'm not, there's going to be no collections. This means that before you come to church, if we apply this to ourselves, you need to find out what the Lord wants you to give. If the Lord wants you to give. You say, wait a minute, no, I just, just tell me what I should give, Rob. No, I want you to seek the Lord. That's part of your relationship with him. Lord, what do you want me to give? How much should I give? No, no, I, oh, I heard 10%. Just, we'll get to that in a minute. When you come to church, I want you to do this. Ask the Lord, Lord, how much do you want me to give today? If he says nothing, then give nothing. 
If he says, you know, a million dollars, then come see me. No, he, no, don't come see me. Put a check in the back. I don't want to know. Listen carefully. Your giving to the Lord should not be an afterthought, but it's something you seek the Lord about. Lord, how can I give back to what you've given me? How can I, you've blessed me, whether it be, and, and make sure you see what you have coming from the Lord as a blessing. Lord, you've blessed me in some way. How can I give back? The third principle we see is that our giving to the Lord needs to be in relation to our prosperity. It's proportionate to how much we make or how much we earn. Notice what he says, storing up as he may prosper. Believers who have more should give more. And don't worry about giving too much. No, no, I, I couldn't possibly. I don't want to give too much to the Lord. Let me read to you what Proverbs 11, chapter, 20, chapter 11, verse 24 says. He says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. When a farmer sows his seed, if he sows more seed, what does he get? More harvest, more grain, whatever he's sowing. It's the same concept, it's the same idea. No one says to the farmer, oh, you're wasting your seed. You're, you're, you're not doing it right. He knows there's more, there's more coming. People always want to know, and here's the question, how much should we give to the Lord? How much? What part of my income should be given to the Lord? Oh, I've heard it's 10%. Is that 10% before taxes or after taxes? How does that work, Rob? What does what the Bible say about that? Oh, I've, I've heard that word. It's tithe. And tithe, tithe does, it means one-tenth. It means 10%. But I want to do a little quick little history lesson, a little background on where the tithe came from. The first place we see the word tithe in the Bible is when, Mil when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. He gave a 10% of what he, the spoil that he had received. Under the Old Testament law, which comes along, Leviticus chapter 27, the Lord told the people, they were to tithe or give 10% of their first fruits. Oh, that's before taxes, first fruits. Yeah, I got that, Pastor, before taxes. Before taxes, after taxes, 10%, first fruit. First fruits off the tree, 10% I give to the Lord. I got it. Later on, he said again in Numbers 18.21 that the tithe was to support the Levites, to support their family. They, didn't, they did not have an inheritance in the land. So the tithe was to be used to support them. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, he said every third year, everyone's got to give another 10%. Ooh, the pastor didn't tell me about that one in church. This is the third year, by the way. So get your checkbooks out. No. No. Every third year, they had to give another 10% so they could be stored up for the fatherless and for the strangers to be able to provide financially for them. There was another 10% that had to be given. Listen, I'm going to make it real simple. If you're going to operate under the 10% rule in the Old Testament law, you really should be giving about 23% of your income to the church before taxes. I like that 10% thing better. We need to keep going because under that system, that 23% was sort of a, a tax. It was the way the government operated. There was no United States government back then. It was, the, it, it was God. That nation was governed by God. The people paid that in so the government, so the, so the church, the temple could operate, so the priests and the Levites could survive. That's, it was more of an operational thing. And in fact, it was important. What if I didn't give 10%? What did Malachi say? Malachi chapter 3, the Lord rebukes the Israelites because they didn't give 10% because they robbed tithes and offerings from God. In Malachi, the prophet says to them, God, God speaking through the prophet Malachi says, you robbed me. And they say, how have we robbed you? 
Lord declared that people had robbed him of his tithes and his offerings. And many Christians today still operate under this 10%. There's nothing wrong with it. You could th- let, let that be something that you operate under. If, that's what you're, if you've sought the Lord and that's what you, number you've come up with, then I'm, I'm all for it. Give 10%. That's entirely up to you. But there's another type of offering in the Old Testament that mirror, that, let's say it, it better mirrors the New Testament. It's called the free will offering. The free will offering. This was left up to the individual. In other words, it depended on how impressed the person, the worshiper was with God. I want to make an offering to God. I'm not giving it out of obligation. I'm giving it because out of my free will. I want to give something to God because he's blessed me. I've met my obligation, but now I want to give a free will offering to the Lord. You see, when you come to the New Testament, we're not under the law any longer. We're under grace. But yet somehow in churches, we've continued this 10% obligation, this 10% law, because pastors and churches like it. Because they think, oh, it brings more money. You know the average person, the average Christian gives 2% of their income? That's the average. That's, that's, that's what the statistics say. The average person gives 2%. 2% is what the average person gives. We don't follow the laws of the Old Testament anymore. The tithe was part of the law of the Old Testament. Rob, are you saying we don't have to tithe 10%? Stick with me. We're not done yet. I might have you to 25% when I'm done. You see, I believe that when we're under the law and we're going to operate under the law, then we have to follow all of the law. And if that all the law brought us to that 23% number, if that's where you want to be, that's, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. But when you study the New Testament, you say, all right, do I find an obligation for Christians within the New Testament to give 10%? And that might be only 10% or all of 10%, depending on which side. It could be either side. Is that found within the New Testament? The answer is no. The only place we see tithing talked about in the New Testament where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and he says you're tithing of your your mint and your spices but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. You're focusing on the little things but it doesn't, you're neglecting the weightier matters. Now I know that when I teach a message like this and I know it's going to go out on the radio and there's going to be pastors going, no, don't tell them they can't, they don't have to give 10%. We're going to starve, our ministry's going to go out. Maybe it should. Maybe if the ministry is not being supported, maybe it is time to close. You see, I do believe that where God guides, God provides. But here's why I think the number 10%, or why I think the tithe is so dangerous. Because on one side, it prevents something that you might not be able to reach because you don't make very much money. On the other side, you might make so much money, 10%, that's no big deal. I can live off the other 90%, just simple. Let me explain it to you this way. 10% to someone who makes $25,000 a year is $2,500 or about $208 a month. So they make, let's just say they make $25,000 a year. They have a little over $2,000 a month income, not even including taxes. And 200 of that would go to the Lord under a 10%. That could be really difficult, don't you think? That could be a difficult thing. And let's add the numbers up a little bit. All right. What if we have someone who makes $100,000 a year? 10% of them, of what they make. Well, that's $10,000 a year. That's about $833 a month. Well, that's a lot more than $200 a month. Yeah, but it leaves them about $7,500 a month to spend. You go, well, they should be able to live off $7,500 a month. Well, what about someone who makes half a million dollars a year? They have to tithe 
$4,166 a month. Well, that's a lot. That's over $4,000 a month. They, how could they tie that much? Well, they still have $37,000 to spend. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? For the person who makes $25,000, that 10%, it might be, oh, it's going to take everything I can reach that. And, and when they do that, it's an amazing, and the Lord blesses that. But the p- person that makes a half a million dollars or even more goes 10%. I'll give you 5000 a month. It means nothing to me because I still got 37000 I think we could all live on $37,000 a month pretty comfortably, don't you? I don't see why we couldn't. I'm reminded of what David said in 2 Samuel 24. Listen carefully. He said this, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. You see, for, 10%, for 10% for some people, it costs them a lot. 10% for other people, it's no big deal at all. I can still live off of it. They can still, it's not, a, it's not a big deal. David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. So what do we give to the Lord? Is it 10% or is it not? What are you telling us? The answer is this. You give to the Lord what you believe the Lord wants you to give. You give to the Lord what you want, what you think. You seek him. You let him put it on your heart. I know there's times in life when it will be impossible to give 10% where you can't pay your bills and give 10%. And if you'll take that step of faith, he might meet you and do a miracle there. I've seen that happen. And I know there's times in life where there's prosperity happening in 10%. That's easy to give. It doesn't cost me anything. I don't, all, all I'm doing is I'm, I'm not funding my 401k as much, or I'm not, I'm not saving for retirement as much, or I'm going to have to go on one less vacation. You see, it might not cost anything. It depends on where you're at. The key is to seek the Lord on your giving. Give generously but do not give out of obligation. If 10% is a legalistic rule for you and you're having trouble giving, keep it. If you can't give cheerfully, then don't give it. I believe after you seek the Lord for how much to give, once you've done that, Lord, all right, here I am. Lord, you want me to give 10%? I would encourage you to give 10.1%. Why? Because think what you're showing showing him. If you've sought the Lord, the Lord says, I want you to give 5%. You go, all right, but I'm going to give you 5.1%, Lord, or 5.2%. Lord says, I'm going to require, I'm asking you to do this. You go, I'll do more. I'll do more, Lord. Why? Because it's all yours and you bless me by it. You know how that works? I do it with my kids. Or that they're getting older now. But I used to, I'd get a bag of candy. I'd all give my, you get two, and you get two, and you get two. And I'd ask, can I have one? Can I have one of those? And sometimes they say, no, I only got two. I have the whole bag. I got the whole bag in my hand. I say, and every once in a while they'll say, here, here's one, Dad. You know what I'll do? I'll dump the bag out. You got it. Whatever you want. Because they're willing to give up one, I'll give them five more, ten more, whatever it is. Same way with the Lord. I read a story of a young pastor and his friend. Early in their lives, they agreed to give 10% of whatever they made to the Lord. As they got older, over the years, years went by, the pastor's salary increased very little. But his friend became very successful in business. Very successful in business. His salary went from $10,000 a year to $100,000 a year to a million dollars in a year to finally he made $6 million in one year. Realizing that he was going to now have to write a check for $600,000, he went to see his pastor and his longtime friend. And he said to him, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really having a hard time with $600,000 is a lot of money. I don't know that I can afford to give away $600,000. That's a a whole lot of cash. And the pastor quietly turned around and he knelt down on his knees and he started to pray. And some time went by and the guy wondered, I wonder what he's praying for. What's going on? And a little bit longer went by and finally the man interrupted the pastor. 
They said, hey, are you asking the Lord to release me from this obligation? He said, no. I'm asking the Lord to lower your income so you'll meet your obligation. Ooh, didn't want to, wouldn't want to hear something like that. I'm asking the Lord to reduce your income so you will be able to honor your agreement, what the Lord has asked you to do. That hit home. You see, there's no amount or percentage in the New Testament that we're called to give. But here, Paul's encouraging us to give in proportion with our income. To him, much is given, much is expected. I believe the idea that God wants 10% and that you can do whatever you want with the other 90% is false. I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Instead of looking at how much you give, why don't you look at how much you keep? Turn the tables. Turn it around. For the guy that makes $6 million in a year, oh, I can't give $600. That's a lot of money. Yeah, but you're keeping $5.4 million in a year. Life's a little tough, don't you think? You see, it's not about how much we give. Oftentimes, it's about how much we keep. And depending on where you fall, whether that 10% is an obligation or whether that 10% doesn't cost you anything, that's why it's important to go and say, Lord, how much do you want me to give? And if all you can give is $10 a month, then you know you've honored the Lord. And you don't have to feel guilty about not being able to give 10% of your income. And if you've given thousands of dollars a month and you've only given 10% of your income and it doesn't cost you anything, you haven't sought the Lord. Or perhaps you have. If the, here's the key. If you seek the Lord, you can be comfortable. You know you're where you're supposed to be. It's not about a pastor telling you how much to give. It's about that relationship with the Lord. The Lord says, I want to bless you. I read another story of a man who started a company and he promised the Lord. He said, I'll give you 90% of what we make and I'm going to keep 10%. I'm going to give you 90% of everything this company makes, Lord, and I'm going to keep 10%. The company went on to be very successful. It was sold out to a larger company. The name of the company that was started that way is called Quaker Oats. The owner, the founder of Quaker Oats, promised and did give away 90% of everything he made. And the Lord blessed it. And you know what? He had no trouble living off his 10% because he made a lot of money. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all Christians have to walk around and live a life of poverty. We can have nice things. We can be blessed with our things. And the way that we can appreciate those things is when we're giving to the Lord what we know he's asked us to give. You see, if, I, if you or I are blessed financially, we go to the Lord and say, Lord, how much do you want me to give? And the Lord says, I want you to give this amount. Then you say, all right, I'm going to give that amount to the Lord. You give it, then the rest of it you can use for whatever you need to use it for because you're right with him. But if you're just going to the Lord going, well, I've done my 10% and I checked that box, the Lord might be going, no, 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 no. I've got some work over here I want you to support. I, I'm, I'm doing something in another country I want you to support. I'm doing something here I want you to support. You see, it's about our relationship with him. What do you want me to give? And if it's 10%, praise the Lord. Maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 5%. I don't know what it is. That's where it comes between you and the Lord. Listen, it's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to give to God. We don't give to God out of responsibility. It's our response to God. I don't give because I have to. You don't give because you have to. It's because you know that God loves you. It's because you get to, because you want to. It's like the candy thing I told you. We can all be blessed. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He put it this way. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he said, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you can't give to the Lord cheerfully, keep it. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. If you have to grudgingly give money to God, you'd be better off keeping it because it's not doing anything for you. But here's the thing. You'll miss out on what the blessing. Do you know that when you support a missionary who's working in another country, when they're accomplishing things for the Lord, if you financially supported them, you're being, you will receive that on your account in heaven? You, you will actually receive the support for that. You, you're going to get credit. No, you might not be the one there, but you'll get credit for that. When you support a church and you give to the Lord, you'll receive the credit for that. You'll receive rewards for that in heaven. Now, I need to tell you a story. Several years ago, I was involved in a church and I saw some things that were being done financially and I thought they were wrong. I didn't think they were very good ideas. They were not unbiblical. They were not illegal or anything like that. I just thought the money could be, be, be uh, 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 spent differently. Okay, And I, I was really challenged on that because you know what my first response was? I'm done giving to that church. I'm done giving. I'm not giving another dime. I don't like the way they're using what I'm giving them because I had an inside picture of what was going on. You know what the Lord said to me one morning as he knocked on my heart? He said, are you giving to me or are you giving to the pastor? Are you giving to me or are you giving to the church? If you're giving to me, let me handle it. If you're giving to the church, then you're not really giving to me anyways. You're giving to an organization. And I had to come to the place where I said, you know what, Lord, I'm giving to you. And I trust that you'll handle whatever needs to be handled. I have to trust that you're speaking to the ministry and the leaders and, and whatever they're doing with it, is, if, unless it's unbiblical, is, is okay because it's not my problem. It's not my concern. And I had to come to the place where I would continue giving what the Lord had called me to give. Whether I liked what was being done with it or not. And again, please misunderstand, it wasn't being stolen. It wasn't, it wasn't being you know, used on vacations or anything like that. It was just something that I thought it could have been spent differently. And the Lord challenged me with that. Brings us back to our question, Rob, just tell us how much we need to give. I just want a checkbox. Just, just tell me, is it 5%, 2%, averages 2, does that work? 10. Hold that thought. Listen carefully. Another principle of our giving is your giving between you and the Lord is personal. It's between you and him. It's between you and him. You're the only one that has to be okay with what you give. Not me, not the church, not the person next to you, between you and him. Listen to what it says. Let each one of you lay something aside, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when, it, when I come. When it comes to giving to the Lord, it's between you and Jesus. And in fact, we studied it in Matthew on our Thursday evening studies. What did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so your charitable deeds will be in secret. Don't draw attention to your giving. Don't, hey, pastor, I got a check. Oh, it's a big one. It's heavy. Can't hold it very long. Where do you want me to put it, pastor? Don't do that. Just put it where it goes. Oh, I hey, hey do, where's the tithe box? I forgot my check. Where, can I give you a check? Hey, where do you want me to go? No, don't just, just give it to the Lord. It's between you and him. I don't need to know about it. In fact, I don't know about it. I don't know who gives what in our church. I don't want to know what you give to the Lord. That's between you and him. I'm, I'm smart enough to know that if I know who's given what, you know who I'm going to go out to lunch with? People giving more. Because I can get more. We can do more ministry. We've got a Calvary House thing we've got working on. Let's go have lunch. Let me tell you our vision, our dreams. Let me tell you what I think's happening. But here's what I've come to know. That the person writing the bigger checks, it might not be costing him anything. And the person who throws the $5 bill, just like the widow's mites, they might be giving everything. 
I can't be a judge of that. So therefore, my safest, best place is not knowing what anybody is giving. It's personal. It's between you and the Lord. Between you and Him. Don't draw attention to yourself. Give to the Lord quietly. Paul didn't want the people giving out of emotion. That's why he said, set it aside. That's why it was pre-planned. Before I get there, set it aside. When you give to the Lord at our church, it's personal. It's between you and Him. I don't know. I don't want to know. If you put a big check in the offering box, don't expect a call from me this week. I don't know who, I, I know how much comes in. I need to know that for financial purposes, but I don't know how much you give. I, if, if you're waiting for a call, it'll tell you what your real heart is for giving. You're trying to please somebody else. It's not going to happen because I don't want to know. I might look and go, wow, we got a lot in this week, but I, I don't know where, it, I don't want to know where it comes from. I, I, I have no interest in knowing that. Notice what Paul says there in verse 3. He says, When I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. In other words, what Paul's doing is he's establishing some accountability there. He's establishing accountability. When it comes to giving, there needs to be accountability. And Paul says, listen, I want you guys to pick somebody. You make a collection. You gather before I get there. And when I get there, you pick somebody, and I want you to give them the money, and they can take it to Jerusalem. Or if they want to come with me, they can go with me. But I'm not going to take the money. Why would Paul do such a thing? Because he knows how people think. Oh, there's Paul. He's got that sack of money. He's going to get a steak dinner. I wonder if he's really going to Jerusalem. I wonder how much that money really makes it to Jerusalem. I wonder, you know, Paul's got ministry expenses, I bet. I bet he's traveling first class. I bet he's spending it somewhere good. Paul, I wonder what he's really, oh, I support that missionary. I wonder what they're, what they're, what are they really doing with that money? That's how we think sometimes, isn't it? Oh, do they really need that? Is, is that, is that something that, well, I mean, I mean, I have that because I work for my money, but they don't work. Do they, do they really need that? You see, Paul understood that's the way people think. That's not the right way to think, but Paul understood that's the way people think. So he says, I'm cutting myself out of it. I don't want any part of it. I want there to be no appearance of impropriety here whatsoever. So you give it the money to somebody you pick, and they take it to Jerusalem, either by themselves or with me. I don't care. Just get it there. How cool is that? And I understand what he means. We're real skeptical about where our money goes, aren't we? We look around, say, hey, ah, where's it going? Is it right? I also want you to know that if you're giving to this church, I don't get anything from it. I don't get a salary from the church. I don't get paid from the church. Now, please don't think I'm doing it for free because I'm getting paid in eternity. I'm getting paid where moth and rust won't destroy it, where it's not going to get spent. It's not taxed. It's, gonna, it's piling up for me in eternity. You say, Rob, you're doing this for nothing. Why did you move from Florida to Cumberland? Because the Lord called me to. I had no option. If I want to walk in obedience, but who pays your bills? I still have businesses in the in the outside world, outside of church that provides for my family. So if you have a tendency to look and go, well, I wonder what pastor got a new car, or I wonder what who, pa it's, it's not coming from you guys. The Lord's blessing me in another way. In fact, I give to the church. I give more than 10% of what I make to the church, to, to other, the church in other places. I give more than that away. So you can be confident that you can, I got a new desk chair last week. I, I did, I got a new desk chair. My old desk chair, Jordan's got it, it's fallen apart. When I went to get a new desk chair, I don't put it on the credit card for the church. I buy it myself. So you can be sure that when you 
give something to the church. I'm not getting any benefit from it here on this earth, but I'm getting a lot of benefit from what's happening in eternity. And I'd rather store it up there all day long. And please don't misunderstand it. I'm not saying pastors that get paid are wrong. There's nothing wrong with passing an offering plate. There's nothing wrong with the pastor getting a salary. Nothing wrong with it all. The churches should support the pastor. At this time in my life, the Lord is supporting me financially and my family enough outside of here that I don't need to take anything from here. If that all changes, I'll let you know. Because there very well could be a day where my businesses fall apart. And I go, you know what? I can't feed my family. I need to get paid from the church because that, that's, that's the way the Lord may do that to me. I don't know. It may, he may let that happen for whatever. Maybe he wants to humble me and that happens. I don't know. But I know he'll provide for me. And if that ever happens, I'll, I'll let you know it happens. But I know that's how people think. And Paul understood. Hey, how do they afford that? What's Paul doing with that money? How come pastor's going on vacation again? How come this? How come that? What, why is that? My personal opinion is pastors are way underpaid for what they do. Oh, they only work for 45 minutes on Sunday. No, they don't. No, they don't. A good pastor works a lot more than 40 hours a week. He spends a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in Bible study, a lot of time in preparation, more than you will ever know, more than you're ever expected to know. But don't ever think that he only works for 45 minutes on Sunday. I also want you to know that here at Calvary Chapel Cumberland, we have accountability in place when it comes to the money and our finances. Two people always collect it. A deposit is made. It has to be signed for. It has to match the sheets together. There's a board in place that oversees our finances to make sure that we're not spending something, frugal, they're frugal, they're not, not spending wasteful things, anything like that. Those, those, that accountability is in place because I know how people get. That's why we have the meeting that I have. I didn't plan it this way. It just so happened this is the, this is the Bible study. Our meeting for this is coming up this week. Isn't that kind of cool how the Lord works that way? I didn't make that happen. It just happened. So I want you to know there's accountability in place here in our church, and there's an accountability place in most churches, I hope, or there should be. And I want to just review very quickly, and I want you to remember these principles when it comes to your giving. Giving is universal. All Christians are called to give back to the Lord for that which they have received comes from Him. All that you have comes from Him. Giving to the Lord should be pre-planned and not motivated by emotion. Figure out what the Lord wants you to give and give it to Him. And be okay with that. Your giving should be done according to your income. The more you have, the more you should be able to give to the Lord. And lastly, giving to the Lord is personal. It's between you and him and nobody else. Don't be bound to the Old Testament law of 10%. Because he just might want you to give more. Or you're not able to give 10% and you're walking around feeling like, I just can't, I can't make him happy. I can't make him happy. Give what the Lord calls you to give. It's better to faithfully give something than to give nothing. And please don't ever underestimate in the power of the Lord. You well, I can only give five bucks. And Lord, Lord wants me to give five bucks a week or two bucks a week or one dollar a week. You be faithful in that one dollar a week and watch what he does with it. It's not the amount, it's the faithfulness. He doesn't need the money, but what he's doing is he's teaching us. He's showing us to give back to him. It's us, it's a picture of our worship. We say, Lord, we know what we have came from you and we're just going to give a part of it back. How blessed he is by that. I personally, if you're still stuck on a number, I think 10% is a great place to start. I personally give more than 10%, but that's up to you and between you and the Lord. And I understand that for some people, 10% is hard. You know, again, it's personal. I would encourage all of you from this day forward, maybe you've never heard this taught this way, from this day forward, go home and say, Lord, what do you want me to give? Because if you can't give 10%, you're free. You're free. You, you, you don't have to walk out, oh, you talked about giving, I didn't make it again. No, you're free. Don't worry about it. Be faithful. If you can give more than 10%, you haven't been, then you've been convicted. That's up to you. That's why it's so personal. 
Our relationship is between you and him. And you have to be the one that says, Lord, what do you want me to give? I hate teaching on money. I really do. But it's a principle I think that we see in the scriptures that is so, so important. Because I think sometimes people are in bondage to a digit. And they can be set free whether they can make it or not. It's can I give cheerfully to the Lord? And Lord, how much do you want me to give? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, money is always one of those touchy subjects. It's one of those things that we don't like to talk about, or sometimes we talk about it too much. But it's something that we need, something that focuses and our our world revolves around it. And Lord, we want to recognize that you are the giver of all things, that everything we have belongs to you. And it's my prayer that each person here would consider this morning's scriptures. And although I pulled my principles out, they would see your heart behind it. The fact that Paul asked to have it pre-planned. He didn't want it collected when he was there. He didn't want an emotional, heartstring type thing. Yet it also shows the worship and the elevation of you, Lord, when we give back. I just pray that we would be willing to give to you what you ask and maybe just a little bit more. Lord, take what we give and use it for your glory. Take what we offer. May it be with joy. May it be an act of worship. May you be blessed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.